you know, Jesus' death on the cross, it fulfilled the signs and the prophecies and all those things that uh, were uh, were going on. And so we saw that. We got a good, we got a good look at all those things. In, in chapter 20, what we're going to see is John's going to present us the evidence of, of the resurrection. He's going to present to us uh, he's going to present it to us the the resurrection, and he's going to do so. He specifically says so. If you look down, skip down just real quick. Let's read the last two verses of chapter twenty. What? Oh no, we'll we'll go back. The last two verses say, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Where am I at? Here it is. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. So the reason why these were written, the reason why John's telling you kind of the purpose of why he wrote uh, the gospel and specifically the this chapter where it shows the, the resurrection. Uh, if Jesus had died on the cross, crucified, executed by the Romans, and then stayed in the tomb, you wouldn't have anything to be celebrating about at all. In fact, he wouldn't be uh, but just another guy in the long line of people who've died for their faith, people who've died because they've taught uh, things that were, you know, not not conducive to the authorities. He would have been in a long line of people who said they were prophets. But what makes Jesus different from the rest is that he rose from the dead, and today he's alive. And, and so he was raised, the Bible says he was raised for our justification. Uh, what it shows is, before we start reading chapter 20, what it shows is that the Father accepted the sacrifice. And remember last week we talked about how he bore the curse of sin for us. Go all the way back to Genesis and you have the curse of Adam, the curse of Eve, the curse of the serpent, uh, how creation was cursed because of what the, the, the sin that uh, plunged the whole creation on the curse. And, and the, first, uh, the first thing that we saw was that uh, they realized that they were naked, that Adam and Eve did when the, when the curse first took effect. And uh, Jesus was, was stripped of his clothes when he was hung on the cross. The soldiers gambled for his clothes down at the foot of the cross. And so you see him bearing the shame of, of that curse. And uh, the, the curse on the man, curse on Adam, was that he would work by the sweat of his brow and that the, the ground would produce thorns for him. And you see Christ bearing the thorns, the, the punishment of the curse. And so we saw that Jesus hung on the cross and by hanging on the cross, by giving his life, uh, by taking the wrath of the Father, by taking the curse upon himself, uh, we saw that he was sacrificing himself as a lamb to pay for the sin that caused the creation to be under curse. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So he was reversing what Adam had done in the garden by his death on the cross. And by his resurrection, we see that that it's proof that the Father accepted His sacrifice. And he, the Father took that sacrifice and He accepted it as payment for the curse of creation, for your sins, for my sins, for all our sins. And so... 
it's really important. The empty tomb is really important when it comes to understanding who we are in Christ and understanding how sin is forgiven and understanding those things. Because if Jesus was still in the grave, Paul said, if Jesus has not been raised, then we are above all men most to be pitied because that means the preaching is in vain and all those things. And so this is what John's going to show us, that the curse is defeated, the empty tomb. And I'm going to kind of breeze through chapter 20 because it's all one big hole. So if you have any questions, anything you want to say, any comments, I know there's two parts of the chapter that we're going to have questions about. I'm already anticipating those. But if you have anything, any questions, comments, or, or anything, just stop me. Okay? Is there any questions before we get rolling about the resurrection, John 20? Did y'all read John 20? Okay, good. All right. The first, first line of evidence is the evidence of the empty tomb. Uh, that's what they do. It's, that's what they go and they find. It says, verse 1 says, The first day of the week, this is the Sunday after Jesus crucified on Friday, the, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark, still dark, unto the sepulcher, which is the tomb, and sees the stone r- taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's the disciple Jesus loved? John, that's right. Disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, they came to the sepulchre, so they ran both together, John and Peter, and the other disciple, they did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre, and he stooping down, looked in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he didn't go in. Then comes Simon Peter following him and went, went to the sepulcher and see if the linen clothes lie and the napkin. The napkin is the head covering, the, the, the face cloth that goes over the, over the dead person. Uh, it was not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Uh, and so what you're seeing here is they, they have an empty tomb as proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Now the significance of the clothes is that Mary's first instinct is what? Somebody stole the body. Somebody stole the body. And they're going to they're all think that you know, until Jesus appears. But the first instinct was they're going to steal the body. And if you look at the other Gospels, that's what, uh, that was the story. That's what the Pharisees said. They just took his body. You know, those, uh, and so that was kind of what they, that was their go-to excuse for what happened. But John shows us in this passage that that can't be true because of the linen wrappings and the grave clothes. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, last week we saw Nicodemus and we saw uh, Joseph of Arimathea. They came and they wrapped the body, and they had to do it kind of in a hurry because it was almost the Sabbath. It was almost uh, it was almost the night, but. Um, what they do is they take these strips of linen or sheets of linen and they would, you know, put this oil and ointment and all these things on it. And you can imagine what that, the texture of that was like. And that, that's what they would wrap this body in. They would wrap it up and it would be these linen strips and sheets that were just doused with this perfume and ointment. It, it's, you know, to keep the body from stinking and to pre- preserve it a little while. And, and they put the face cloth around them. And so you can imagine... Imagine it wasn't uh, it wasn't like just picking up a sheet off your bed and saying, "Okay, come on, we're let's take this body." It was a, a intricate process. So by having the grave clothes there, having the face cloth laying there on beside the grave clothes, he was pretty much proving that it couldn't have been grave robbers. 
Because if it was a grave robber, they would have walked in, they would have took the body, and they'd have left. Uh, they would not have spent time unwrapping the dead body from the linen cloths and all those things that wrapped it up. Yes? Like if it was Jewish people, they wouldn't be able to do that anyways because of the Sabbath Right. Well, it was against the law. Right. But so is killing Jesus. So, what I'm thinking is what what she was thinking was uh, they were taking his body to desecrate. She didn't know. I'm sure she. In my thinking, it's just me thinking out loud. I could see where she would think. You know, the authorities, the Pharisees came and took it, you know, so we wouldn't know where it is. We couldn't pay honor to it. We couldn't, you know, the body and all that. But But it could have been just... They wouldn't have been able to... The Pharisees especially wouldn't be able to do it on the Sabbath. Probably not. But, I mean, they were breaking the... I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't uncommon for people to break the law. Right. See what I mean? The Pharisees were extremely political. And so for them to have a higher hand in that, I could, I'm like Jason, I could They might have hired somebody, yeah. But it's just what she's thinking, you know. So, I mean, we don't have to, we know that's not what happens. So we don't have to justify that. But she's, her first thought was... Somebody took the body, and she takes off running to Peter and John going, he's gone, he's gone, they took his body, somebody hit him, and so then Peter and John take off to go check out, because you know, you can't trust nothing no woman said, so you go, <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry, anyway, huh, yep, it's off the chain, she's gone for the weekend, so I can say whatever I want, and it's our little secret. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so they came to the the they came to the tomb, and the grave clothes were still there, which makes it odd. I mean, it makes it it's just strange because if the body's going to be taken away, they wouldn't unwrap it because by this time, all that stuff, that myrrh and ointment and all that aloe, whatever they used, I mean, it's probably thick and. I mean, it's probably gross, you know. I mean, I it would it would just be a big ordeal rather than just hey, take the body, throw it over your shoulder, and walk out. You know what I mean? So, not to mention the fact, well, when he raised Lazarus from the tomb, you remember what happened? Lazarus came out still with full, you know, and he and they were like, he Jesus told them take take all that off him, you know, take all that off him because he's not dead. And so, it, for for him, it was. It was. It's strange that his body would be gone, but the linen wrappings and the death shroud and the, those those things would still be there. And what so, the significance of the headpiece being separated from the linen. Well, in in another gospel, it talks about it being folded, and there is a uh, a custom of when it's. Uh, and I'm speaking off the top of my head. I hadn't thought of it. About the folding the napkins because they're coming back to eat the next course or something. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard that too. Well, if they come, when they leave the table, they will come back. They're coming back. Right, and that's why that cloth was folded. And the servants knew not to clean up, not to touch it. Huh. 
You didn't know that as much history as you know. Mm-mm, I really didn't. Oh, really nice. <laughs> Stump the chump in Sunday school. That's good. He's so smart about all this. I'm no, I'm really not that smart. I just got a good memory. He's going to tell us. That's the nicest way I've ever heard someone go, dang, you didn't know that. <laughs> she just said, I was stupid, I think, in the roundabout, the roundabout southern way. Did you just call me stupid? No, I really didn't know that. I was thinking, I, and it seems like I've read somewhere about the priestly folding of, you know, but uh, that was the first time I've heard about the dinner uh, etiquette of the Jews being part of the deal. So that's, I learn something new every day. So verse 8 and 9, John believed, but they still didn't understand that it was the fulfillment of all the scriptures that have gone before. Verse 8 says, Then when, then went in also that other disciple, that's John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. What did he believe? He believed. There's, no, there's discussion about what exactly he believed, but I think it's fair to say he believed Jesus was raised from the dead, not stolen. His body was not taken. He was raised from the dead. But it says in verse 9, For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What does that prove? What does that show you? What does that say to you that John believed, but yet they didn't understand the scripture that says Jesus was going to rise from the dead? Yes, sir. Did that have to do with the, you know, they, they believed in the resurrection, but like the, the end of the thing, the resurrection, but, but, not, yes. but not coming back to life. Right. The same. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but that's exactly correct. I'm sorry. The, the Jews believed, Jewish, uh, they believed in a resurrection from the dead, but it would all happen at the end. When the, when the end of history comes, everybody would be raised up together. The, the, the fact of somebody being raised from the dead right now while people are still dying and time still moving on was foreign to them. So uh, they believed in a resurrection, but it was all we're all going to be resurrected together at the end. And so... They didn't, he didn't understand. He believed what he saw and what he experienced with his own eyes and with his own heart. He, he, he walked in the tomb and, you know, we've read it in John as we've gone through chapter by chapter. We've read Jesus over and over again telling them, I'm going to be in the tomb three days. I'm, I'm just like the sign of Jonah. I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles. I'm going to rise from the dead. So all of a sudden, John believes. He believes that he's risen from the dead, but it shows that his faith was in the resurrection as he experienced it, they weren't just trying to make it fit with all the scripture. Does that make sense? So many times today you'll hear people say, when you say, well, the Bible is true because you can see all these prophecies fulfilled and it's like, well, they just made it that way. They just did it so that it could look like they was fulfilling prophecy. For instance, uh, they say, you know, it says that the king would ride in on a donkey and so Jesus, knowing the prophecy, said, hmm, I'm going to go get a donkey so it looks like I fulfilled this prophecy. Uh, uh, this was proving that the disciples uh, didn't didn't connect the dots, so to speak. He believed in the resurrection because his Lord was gone. And the linen wrappings were right there. And he probably had remembered Jesus saying that he was going to be resurrected from the dead. But they hadn't put all the pieces together as far as the Old Testament scripture and how the prophets prophesied of the, the Messiah being killed and resurrected. They hadn't put all those pieces together. So what you see is that the basic belief, the basic faith in the resurrection 
resurrection. Faith in Jesus came before all this great knowledge came about about uh, how it fulfilled the Old Testament. Does that make sense? What what it's telling me here is what and and this is just what I'm thinking. What it's telling me here is that. Faith and, and knowledge are not the same thing. We know that. It's a no-brainer. But to trust in Christ and trust in the resurrection of Christ that forgives you for your sins, um, you, will, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the... You know, there's all, many times people come with questions. Doesn't this Bible verse contradict this one? How did this happen? What was this deal? You and just like you just found out a minute ago with the napkin thing, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. I enjoy, I know it's a shock to you, Valerie, that I don't, but there's lots of, I don't know half as much as I want to know. And I'm sure you, if you're a believer in Christ, your heart's got questions. There's things that you want to know about Scripture, want to know about Jesus, and you're going to grow in those things. But that has nothing to do with the experience that you've had with the risen Christ. The experience that you've had where you put your trust in the one who's no longer in that tomb. Do you see how? So you, on one hand, you got John believed. But on the other hand, he didn't yet understand how all this worked into the Scripture. See what I mean? Okay, and then the, the rest of, most of the rest of the chapter is going to talk about the evidence of Jesus' appearances. He's going to appear to Mary. In verses 10 through 13, Mary is, uh, she's distraught. Uh, I always wondered why. I think you're back what you said about being faith is that verse 11 says, but Mary stood <laughs> At the sepulchre. And I mean, she's not she she's without faith. I mean, she was still freaking out. And I think it meant she stood without anybody there with her, but she was fire Yeah. Is that what that means? Oh, well, but, she, I mean, she didn't, she still believed that somebody took the body. Let's read it. Uh, then the disciples, verse 10, then the disciples went away again to their home. That's weird to me. It's like, they took Jesus' body. Okay, let's go home. That's strange. I think it's because they were afraid that they would be missed. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And, and we're going to see that in the next chapter, that they were hiding in fear. And it says, but Mary stayed. Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, because they have taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him. Why do you think she stayed? The disciples left. She's a woman. <laughs> Okay, you got to explain that to me. We're curious. We, where men sometimes go, okay, women kind of linger. They want to know. That's exactly what she's saying. They get caught up in their emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she's so that is, that, I'm going to make sure I get that on the recording. That they said women get caught up in their emotions. Say that again. <laughs> that is what Tammy said. She was so brave that she just... She could not leave until she found out where her Lord was at. They they had. Maybe she thought. A lady dies, the man, the husband will come and look at the casket, spend five minutes, most of the time, and go sit down. A woman doesn't. You can't drag her if it's her husband. Huh, that's pretty neat. It's a difference. It's just a difference. It's just how we're made. So it would be normal then. So like, but 
More thoughtful. So it's like we're we're just big old callous, yeah. dumb bulldog. Yeah. I'm gonna miss you, honey. See you. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll give you that. For whatever reason, she stayed. She stayed, and she was distraught and upset, uh, inconsolable. She leans down and she looks in. Leans down because the tomb would have been. Going down here wouldn't wouldn't have been like a big cave, you know. But anyway, she leans down and looks into the tomb. She sees the linen wrappings, and she sees two angels sitting where Jesus' body had lain. Now, in the other Gospels, we see that these two angels had actually spoken to Peter and John when they went in the tomb. Mary was still outside, so it's not recorded here. Uh, but she leans down. She sees the two angels. I don't know if she knew that they were angels because you would think that she would say, "Hey." Look, it's angels. But all she says is, "Where is my? Why are you weeping? Because my Lord's gone, and we don't know where that they took it." Yes. But they seem like different angels. Usually, when angels appear, the first thing they say is, "Don't be afraid," or whatever you know. And they didn't say that to her. So, what kind of angels were they? <laughs> Is it some unwritten law that they have to say don't be afraid when they show up? Well, I think the most of the time they're they're pretty unnerving and, intim- oh. and intimidating, and these yeah. weren't. So I'm just wondering, like, but not all the time. Like, like death angels that are the ones that, that bring you i have no idea i mean that has nothing to do with john chapter 20 i mean we'll have a thing on angels when we do our systematic theology i have a whole thing on angels not well they they didn't they did they told peter and john they said why are you seeking the living among the dead and peter and john didn't act like it was just some big crazy thing. They're chatty for angels. Normally they're not that chatty. Normally? <laughs> well, I mean, in scripture they're usually like, don't be afraid, and then they say what they got to say. That's interesting. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, he said, <laughs> okay, she's upset. She sees the angels, whatever they look like. <laughs> And she says she still doesn't understand that Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, still doesn't. She even tells the angels who knew that Jesus was raised from the dead, they've taken my Lord. And so all of a sudden, it's almost like she just doesn't pay much attention to the angels because they say, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken my Lord and we don't know where they are. And then the very next thing it says, and so Mary turned around like Mary just don't have time to mess with whoever this is talking to her in the tomb. And uh, in verse 14, it says, and when she had said thus, when she'd said that to the angels, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Uh, Jesus said to her, woman, why weep? thou the exact same phrase that the angels had just said to her whom seekest thou she supposing him to be the gardener said unto him sir if thou have borne him hence if you've taken him away tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away say if you've taken him away why don't you think she recognized him there's no right or wrong answer there's lots of theories but why why do you think she didn't recognize him 
Because he was looked different in his new body. That's one. Could be that she was just distraught. She was crying. I have a, that is a theory that is put out by scholars. People would say that, but I have a hard time with that one because I, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a man, but, uh, you know, uh, if you're crying and you love this person, you could probably tell who the person is unless something's different about it. But there are many instances where Jesus disguised himself, not like with hat and mustache, but he just didn't let himself be known. Like when he was walking with the disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus and uh, they, they didn't recognize him. And it was just his spiritual prerogative to make himself known or to let himself be seen. Yes. What about the times when the crowds was wanting to kill him and then he just walked out? Yeah, just said it, he, he walked out from between them. And we'll see in the next chapter that they, in the upper room, door locked, they all scared, hiding, and Jesus just appeared. It says that he just walked in the midst of them. We don't know if that was like poof or if he walked through the wall or, or what, but he just appeared in the midst of them. And so uh, she did not recognize him, and she's still thinking. She turns around and says, this must be the guy that took Jesus. Please give me my Lord. Give his body to me. We want to, you know, he is our, we love him. We want to be with him, give him proper burial. They were probably there to finish what uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had started, but was doing hurriedly because it was almost the Sabbath. Uh, And he says a single word to her, and all of a sudden she recognized him. He says, Mary says, Jesus always said, we've read it before, that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And when he says Mary, she sees him for who he is. And I think she embraced him. She grabbed him. Like, uh, you know, she grabs hold says Rabboni, which means my teacher, uh, probably embraced him. That was... 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned herself and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master or teacher, my master, my teacher. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Okay. This is where I anticipate the question. Why didn't she touch him? Why did he tell her not to touch him? Yes. And, and why did he turn to Thomas and tell Thomas to touch him? Yes. Well, I know we didn't there yet. Because Thomas was a man. That's right. <laughs> Mary's idea of... Mary was distraught and she was crying. She was missing her Lord or Master, the one she loved. And when she saw him, immediately her mind... I mean, she, I, I think that she did hug him. And what he's telling her is not, don't touch me, but let me go. You know, that's what he's telling her. Uh, and so, and that can, I can bear that out in, in the language of the original. But uh, what, he's, what he's showing her is that things are not going back to the same way they were. I, I know you're happy to see me and it's good, but you're not going to be clinging to me like you were. Cl- this is all what's going on. He says, don't cling to me. And it's almost like he's saying, 
yet. Don't cling to me yet because I've not yet ascended to my Father. Once I ascend to my Father, then you will cling to me. You know, it's, it's almost like he's saying that, but what he's showing is that there's a change. Uh, things are not going back to the way they were. He's not coming back to continue his ministry and to walk with them and to multiply bread and fishes anymore. He's not doing those things. He's going to be around for 40 more days and he's going to teach and, you know, uh, minister to his disciples. And then he's going to be gone. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's showing her that now that I have died and I have come back, everything has changed. And I'm just here for a moment until I ascend to be with my Father. He says, you're going to be clinging to me by grace through faith from now on. It's not what he says, but this is what, this is what he's showing her that the relationship has changed. The reason that he allows Thomas to touch, it wasn't that Mary could not touch him, because I believe she did touch him. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of people that don't. That's just my theory. So, you know, I'll take correction if need be. But, yeah. But anyway, what was I saying? See, y'all can't sit on the front row. What's that deal about? Thomas, he let him touch him to prove... Because Thomas, his faith was deficient. He needed to see. And so Jesus allowed him to see. Jesus allowed him to touch the nail-scarred hands, the spear inside. Make sense? Right, and I think if we look back over Thomas's, you know, what we know about him through Scripture, he, you know, he was like from Missouri, the show me. The show me state, that's right. That's right. That's a little known Bible fact. little known Bible fact. Thomas from for some Missouri. Okay. I'll take that as well. I'll take that as well. So he tells Mary to go tell. All right, but, and that's just, think about that and just let that simmer about, he, he didn't, he was trying to teach her that the relationships now had changed. He was going to be with, it was no longer follow, I shouldn't say that. It was no longer you know, uh, them following him around the plains of Galilee. He says, I'm going to my father and I'm going to your father. I'm going to my God and your God. He was saying, now that I have died and resurrected, I'm going to ascend and I'm going, your adoption is complete. Your adoption is secured. Now you are going to go through me, of course, but straight to, straight to the father. You're going to be a co-heir with me. You're going to be my, uh, I'm the firstborn of many brethren. And what he was saying was that, you know, things have changed and it's not going to be the way it was. Uh, in fact, it's going to be better. I, I think it's going to be better. It would no longer be a physical attachment they would have to him, but a spiritual attachment. Right, right. And he would, when he ascended, uh, while he was here on earth in his incarnation, this is really hard to get a hold of, um, he taught them. He taught them, and he about the Father, and they prayed to the Father. He taught them how to pray. You know the uh, the Lord's Prayer. He, he taught them all those things. But after he ascended, you see example after example of people praying to Jesus in Acts, praying to Him, and and in communion with Him, and, and seeing. You know, Stephen said, "I opened up the heavens, opened up before me, and I saw the." the God and, and Christ standing at his right hand and, and so they would be clinging to Christ and they would be in communication with him and communion with him but it was now a different way than before the death and the resurrection. Does that make sense? Okay. Where was that? 
Okay, the disciples had the same reaction. I think I better hurry. Yes, I gotta hurry. Okay, I'm not gonna read all of it because you just probably have already read it. But in 19 and 20, they're afraid, they're hiding, and Jesus just appears and he greets them and he gives them proof. You notice that in this chapter, it's all about proof. The empty tomb is the evidence. The linen wrappings are the evidence he wasn't taken. He he gives them proof that he has risen from the dead. He says, "Look, you know." And they, well, let me just read it. Verse 20 says. Uh, and when he had said so, he showed unto him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, and they said, and when they saw the Lord, then they said to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, I have sent to you. Uh, three things Jesus does here. He sends them, he gives them a mission, charges them with a mission, he empowers them for that mission, and then he gives them the authority for that mission. Here's where I anticipated the other questions. Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. He's sending them on a mission. Okay, who's got the question? <laughs> on the front row. No, uh, else no, nobody else wants to ask. They all, we all know what the question is. I got an argument this week about this question when I told people at, at the hospital what we were studying. Um, what did Jesus mean when he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit? Did they have the Holy Spirit right then? Is that when they were saved? The, that's a hard question to answer. There are three main views. I'm going to give you all three views. I'm going to tell you which one I think it is, and I'm going to let you make up your own mind. Okay? The first one is that it's transformative. This is, this is when they were saved. This is when they received the Holy Spirit. This is when their hearts were regenerated. And that would mean that at Pentecost they received uh, a spirit of, you know, the gifts and the mission and the, you know, empowering for service. That's one. That This first view is that they, this is where they were saved. This is where the whole, he breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. New heart, new life, ready to go. Okay? The second theory is that it's just a symbol of what they would receive when they when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and filled them with the Spirit and they did. So it was just a symbol of of uh, you know Jesus was showing them what they would receive. And the third the third uh, theory is that this is an, an empowerment for the mission that he's given them. He's giving them a mission. He said, his father sends me, I'm sending you. Uh, and he says, if you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're not. And right in the middle of those two statements, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He's showing them how their mission is going to be fulfilled. It's the same way that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon David and he caused and he was able to serve and do the thing. Holy Spirit came upon Saul and, and he prophesied. You know, there are times in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came upon a person and worked in his life in such a way that he did something wonderful, miraculous. He did something uh, that, that took a lot of strength, courage, whatever, whatever service. Uh, it was empowering them, him, them for service. I believe that it's the third option. I believe that Jesus was empowering them for their mission. And two reasons I believe that. And I am, I'm up to, for discussion. I could be wrong. I don't think so but I could be 
The reason I say that is because no scripture is taken away from its context. And when Jesus says breathe, uh, when he breathes, receive the Holy Spirit, that is right in between two statements about the mission that they're supposed to be doing. He says, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he says, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And whoever you do not. And right in the midst of that, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, do you think that's for a Catholic's? Not that's going to be my question. Catholics, you know, they have to confess to the priest. Or, you know, do they, do they think that, you know, they confess to the priest and the priest forgives them or whatever? Mm-hmm. Or the priest can say, you know, say so many Hail Marys or whatever. Oh, you're talking about where he says, like, he's giving them the authority, right. whoever's... I, that might be where they get it. But that's a misinterpretation of what he's <laughs> saying. Basically, here he's saying the same thing that he said to in Matthew 18 when he told uh, the disciples. He says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. You know, whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth. And he's given them the authority by the gospel. And what they're taking is they're taking the gospel. They're taking the gospel. And I can walk up to Miss Judy and I can say, I have the gospel. I give you the gospel. If you receive the gospel, your sins are forgiven. And I can tell you with assurance that your sins are forgiven because of this gospel because of what Jesus has done if you repent of your sins and trust in him you are forgiven or I can tell you of a surety that if you reject this gospel your sins are not forgiven it's as simple as that and so he is giving them uh, he's giving them the authority of the forgiveness of sins he's not saying I give you the power to forgive sins that makes sense like I can't walk up to Miss Judy and put my hand on her and say oh your sins are forgiven you know like I'm not Jesus that's his that's his job that's his authority but I have the authority as an ambassador of Jesus to bring the message, to bring the gospel, to bring it to him. And-